Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We're meeting online right now, but we normally meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can catch our weekly gatherings live by checking out our website at www.newgarden.church backslash online. We would love to hear from you. This week, we continued our journey through the book of Genesis with Jeff explaining how God uses covenants with chosen people to move the whole world towards reconciliation. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning and welcome to week two of Long Story Short. Now, if you have not been following us since last week or the past few weeks and you don't know what this means, we have set out a challenge as a church to read the entire Bible in 2021 from Genesis to Revelation. But if you have been listening, is the main goal to read every word of Scripture? No, the main goal is to read some of the word every day this year. Now, if we get to the end and you've read the whole Bible, that's even better. But the main goal is to develop a habit of every day opening the Word and letting the Word transform us. Now, some of us are avid readers who could read all of Genesis in one sitting, which is a great thing to do. You should try that. But this year, even if it's just one chapter a day, being able to ask, what is God saying to me today, every day this year? We will be a changed people. So we kicked this series off last week with page one, the story of the creator. The first introduction to the main character of the Bible, God, or more specifically, Yahweh Elohim, which shows up in most of our Bibles like all caps, Lord God. Now, who is this God that we follow? Well, first, he is super powerful. He's able to bring light out of darkness and life out of nothing with just the breath of his command. But he's also good. He brings order out of chaos, and the result is a good world where more goodness can flourish. And finally, maybe the best news of all is when you have a very good God and a very powerful God, is that he is in control. Or as we learned last week, he has rested from the work of creation, which means he's ready to oversee the flourishing of this new creation as he's actively involved with the partners he has made, humanity. So page one and page two of the Bible, all things are good. We might say things are going great, in fact, but it doesn't stay that way, does it? (laughs) In fact, the story takes a turn and quickly implodes on itself. So much happens in the next few pages, and we don't have time to cover it all today because we're flying high and fast, and we're going to end in chapter 12 this morning. But to catch us up quickly, in case you haven't read those 12 pages, God makes a great piece of real estate. And he gives it to these creatures he has made in his image. God blesses them to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it to rule over everything. Like have a blast. Make more humans and neighborhoods and communities. The earth is yours. Make it flourish. But then the Bible introduces this epic struggle between God and humans that plays out over countless generations. Now you might be thinking, wait a second. If it's a struggle between God and humans, wouldn't God just win? Like, Yes, if it were just a power struggle, if it were a contest over who's stronger, who gets to run the earth, no contest. But it's not. Rather, it's a struggle over different visions of the world. God envisions a community of love on earth like himself, this Trinitarian community. He imagines 
He living with humans. And they all know each other and love each other, and trust each other, and they get to exercise their ingenuity and creativity on this beautiful world God has created. But the humans, on the other side, on the other hand, they say, hey, thanks for the beautiful world, God, but we would prefer to run the world without deferring to your wisdom and your knowledge. So page three of the Bible introduces us to the presence of evil in the world, and it's represented by this character of the snake tempting the first humans with doubts of trustworthiness of the Creator. And so they give in to the desire for autonomy and independence. They were asked to trust. They were asked to obey, and they chose selfishness. They chose sin. Instead, they think they know what's better, and the whole thing just begins to fall apart. There's this fracture. They blame one another for their own wrong choices. But you read and you think, well, maybe the next generation will learn from their parents' mistakes, right? Is that what happens? Like, what does Cain do when he is tempted with jealousy and anger? He gives into it, and he murders his brother. And so the brokenness of the human heart passes on, and it spreads to the next generation. So Cain is banished, and he goes out, and he finds a wife, and he establishes a city. And just when you think things are turning around, you know, they're multiplying, and they're filling. Oh, this is the good stuff. A few generations go by, and you're introduced to Lamech. This is the first guy who isn't satisfied with just one wife. He takes two wives, like their property. And you think, wait, this doesn't seem to follow the pattern we've been reading. And then he starts singing proudly that some young boy injured him, and he responded by murdering a young boy. And so sin continues to spread. The violence, the selfishness, the virus of the human brokenness continues to multiply and spread. It's a stark contrast from what is supposed to be happening in the world. You get to chapter 6, and you read that the Lord, he saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. And God is grieved. And so God brings an act of justice against human wickedness through the flood. But he shows grace by saving a, rem a remnant out of his act of justice, and he starts over. It's like a reset button with a new human family with Noah and his descendants. And how does Noah do? Well, he gets off the ark and he plants a vineyard and it's like, oh, we're back in the garden all over again. And then Noah starts drinking his wine and he doesn't stop until he's passed out naked in his tent. We think, well, that didn't take very long, you know? And the story plunges back into human wickedness. And one of Noah's sons does something very wrong and the new human family chosen to be a good picks right back up where the story left off, and the virus of human brokenness continues to spread. And chapter 11 tells us the story of all the nations coming together at Babylon and using the technology of their day, the brick, to make a tower and a name for themselves. And once again, God brings an act of justice against human arrogance, and he scatters them. Now, do you see a pattern forming? What happened in Eden didn't stay in Eden. The choice that Adam and Eve both made to define good and bad for themselves has spelled disaster for them and for their children and for their children's children because their children have followed suit. And generation after generation, city after city, nation after nation, everybody is broken. The world is a mess. So the text forces us to ask the question, 
what is God going to do? Like, what's the Creator going to do to rescue and to save His world? Because the human-dominated world is one that falls into murder and vengeance and exploitation and all kinds of perversion and separation into different tribes. It leads to warfare and wanton slaughter. Now, if God just simply wants to take the earth back, defeat the humans, that's easy. That's a piece of cake. Snap of the fingers, they're gone. But God is stubborn, which is another way of saying he's righteous and faithful. He intends to redeem the world and restore it to its original version, which means he has to persuade the rebellious world. Or to say it differently, he has to woo a rebellious world to voluntarily, without compulsion, to come back to him, submit to his authority, to love him, and to love each other. So how is he going to pull that off? Well, we find an answer in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram. So this is why all those boring genealogies are in the book of Genesis, because the author is tracing a family line to the family through whom God is going to save the world. And we're introduced to the main player right here, Abram, or as we will know him later, Abraham. Now look at verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. So here's a map. They start over here in the east, and they're making their way over to the west, but somewhere near the middle, they stop, and they stay in Haran. Okay, now, now we have that in our heads. The obvious question on everybody's mind is, who cares? Like, why should we care about these people and their travel vacation? Why does it matter? The world's falling apart. The virus of sin and brokenness is spreading. The whole human family is caught up in this web of sin and selfishness. So why do I care about these people? Well, this is a very important lesson about the God of the Bible. He chooses to work through random people in ordinary circumstances and through people moving here and settling there. Like This is how God works. The virus of sin and brokenness has spread through the whole human family, and God's going to do something new with the human family. And what is he going to do? Well, you turn the page to chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So first God says, finish the journey you started. Like, go to the land I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And our minds are like making these connections. Like, yes, that's exactly what humanity needs, right? Like humanity was given this blessing on page one. What did we do with it? We turned it into a curse of brokenness and sin and selfishness. And so what is God's response to the virus spreading throughout humanity? He says, I'm going to start a new family, a blessing that will spread salvation and blessing throughout the human family. He continues and he says, I will make your name great. Does that ring any bells? Like, what did the people of Babylon say? We'll make a name for ourselves, and God humbles the arrogant, but he exalts this no-name wandering nomad so that he will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. God is going to protect Abraham 
Why? Well, the key is right here at the end of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, some of your translations might have all families of the earth will be blessed through you. And I think that is spot on because that's the idea here, right? Like how did sin and selfishness spread through the families? One person to another, generation to generation, spreading like a virus. And so what is God going to do in response? He's going to start a new family that's grounded in grace and blessing. And why does he choose Abraham? Well, it's not because Abraham is all that great, but he is a conduit for God's grace to spread and to move into the world. But in order to bless everyone, he blesses Abraham. He blesses one to bless the many. He's saving one to bring salvation to the many. That's how God works in the world. And we think everybody should have this equal opportunity. God sends everybody the same letter or email, you know, but that's not how God works. He works through people, through things spreading, through human family, through relationships. That's how sin started and spread, and that's how blessing and salvation is going to get started and spread too. Now, these verses are crucial to understanding the storyline of the whole Bible. If we don't get Genesis chapter 12, we're going to have a hard time understanding anything that comes after. And we certainly won't understand Jesus because he saw himself as fulfilling this promise. So if we think of this as a picture, it might look something like this. The story begins with God. And then chapters 1 through 11, it's the story of God and the whole world. And we read the story of the spreading of the virus, of the brokenness of humanity. But here in chapter 12, a new storyline begins. It's just this random guy named Abram. And a new storyline breaks off about him and his descendants that we call the Israelites. So from here on out, everything we're going to read that follows chapter 12 to the end of the Old Testament is about God and the people of Israel. And so maybe you've asked this question, and if you haven't, I'll ask it for you. Why should we care about these people? Like more than likely, our grandparents don't root the family tree in Israel. So why should we commit to reading 700 pages about them? What is this all about? Their story is important because it's what God is doing in response to this story right here. You see this? The story that we just left hanging? Like what is God going to do to rescue the world? The story of the Bible is what God is doing to rescue the whole world. How? He chooses one family through whom somehow he's going to restore blessing to all nations. Sin and selfishness have spread like a virus, but God is starting a new virus, I guess more like an antivirus, in the blessing of Genesis chapter 12. And this antivirus is supposed to spread. But the problem, of course, is if you read the Bible, the people of Israel are just as broken and screwed up as everybody else, right? And so it creates two problems. God is trying to rescue the world, and now he's got to rescue Israel all the time from the messes that they're getting themselves into. And so that is why the Old Testament is so complicated and intense and involved. But this is the story. And so we're going to get to the final pages of this story in like October. And it ends on a cliffhanger because the people are still waiting. God's promise of blessing through one has not yet reached its fulfillment has not found its fulfillment in any of the prophets or priests or kings, and the book just kind of stops, and you're left wondering, when, how, who? And thankfully, we don't have to sit in the dark as long as the Israelites did, because the next day when we turn the page, we get into the New Testament, and we see the story come to its culmination. 
the New Testament authors point to Jesus. And Jesus makes it very clear that the whole story comes to its culmination in himself, in Jesus of Nazareth. That on the cross, he bears in himself as Israel's king all of their pain, the implications of their foolishness, their sin, and their evil. But when Jesus of Nazareth comes, is it only to rescue his tribe? Answer, no. He's very clear. He sees himself as bringing this story to its culmination too. What happens on the cross is not meant to stay at the cross. It's meant to spread throughout the whole world. What God's doing here is he's rescuing and he's redeeming. He's restoring and he's absorbing into himself all the pain and the evil of this virus that has spread through the whole human family and throughout the people of Israel. This is how the story of the Bible fits together. Genesis chapter 12, God chooses one family through whom he's going to bring salvation and grace to the many. So Genesis chapter 12 is like a key place in the story, not just to the Israelites, but also to us. It's the place where God chooses to rescue a person so the story can lead to Jesus. So God can write the story where Jesus chooses to rescue me and you and the whole world. And so each week, when we gather together, we choose to remember this moment through a meal. It was Jesus' idea to remember him through a meal. But the bread and the cup, they point to this moment in the story. This is how God solves the problem from page 3. He absorbs the painful, tragic results of the virus of sin into himself on the cross. And then he defeats its power when he rises from the dead. And he makes the antivirus available to spread throughout a new humanity. It's through the cross that you and I, as people, living in a long time from these events, get included into the story. What happened in Genesis 3 did not stay in Genesis 3. And what happened at the cross was never meant to stay at the cross. It is supposed to spread. It is the antivirus. And just as God invited Abraham to be part of the story, God invites us. He invites you to be the conduit through which he works in the world, bringing blessings so that all peoples on earth will be blessed. So as we take the bread and we take the cup today, maybe you haven't accepted your part in the story. Maybe you didn't know how much God loves you and that he's been working for thousands of years for you to hear this today. God loves you, not because you're awesome and perfect. God loves you because you're his creation. He knows all of your broken parts all of your bad habits, all of your selfish ways. He knows how good you are too, how you try to be a good person, but you're still infected with the virus of sin and there's only one vaccine that works, putting your trust in Jesus to save you. Now many of us today, we've done just that. We've put our trust in Jesus, but that doesn't mean we're perfect, far from it. But it does mean we're being healed and transformed by the Savior who loves us and gave his very life for us. So today as we take the bread, we take the cup. Let us remember and celebrate Jesus who showed us how much God loves us. That's it for this week. Thank you for checking in with us and we'll be back with another episode next week.